An interesting theme that has come up often throughout this healing series has been the idea of identity and how it impacts our healing. In fact, it's come up so often that when it started to come out in this conversation, I was a little hesitant. After all, the last episode hit on identity as well, so would this feel repetitive? The answer is no. As Tabitha Perry and I pressed more into what was very clearly a topic God wanted us to address, we found that instead of it being focused on our identity, it was focused on the identity of others. Put another way, what if the way that we identify others actually impacts their healing? Or if we're able to see them as God sees them, we can be a part of the healing that God has for them. You're listening to episode 111 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, we just thank you that you are God and you are good. And we thank you for this opportunity to connect and to talk and to just process who you are and how you work. And we just pray specifically for this time with two young kids in the next room that you would just provide a great space for conversation, that you would protect this time. And more than that, we just pray that you would guide our words, guide our thoughts, so that this is about you and not any of our own ideas, because we know you could do abundantly more than we ever could with our best ideas. So we give it to you and we thank you in advance for how you will work. Most pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So Tabitha, I'm glad for this opportunity to talk to you and I'm looking forward to the conversation wherever it goes. But before we jump in, one thing that I like to do with guests is give them an opportunity to share in a brief but fun way who they are. I do that by giving a random prompt. And so I feel like my creative juices aren't flowing as much this morning, but this is the prompt that popped in my head. I love to do what I call just porch sitting. One way I could be accessible to my neighbors is instead of being in the backyard, be on the front porch, neighbors walk by, say, hey. But when neighbors are walking by, they're usually going somewhere, so the conversations might not be long. And so let's say I'm sitting on my porch, you live in the neighborhood, and you're going on a walk or a run, whatever you like to do. As you're going by, put up a wave, you put up a wave, and you don't have long, but you have a moment, and you want to introduce who you are. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting on my porch, you're on your run but you want to say who you are, what do you say to me about who Tabitha is before you take off to the next block? Well, I love this. And actually, I am very prepared for this because <laughs> I am Tabitha Perry and I am a strong, courageous, bold, and consistent child of God. And that is a actual personal contract that I created for myself when people asked me to introduce myself as opposed to using labels as mom, wife, life coach. I go down to the core of who I am and who I want to step into be. So that would be probably maybe a weird way of introducing myself when you're in the porch, but it also probably is a good conversation starter. <laughs> I love it. I think you're right. And I completely agree with you. We attach so many identities to ourselves and get stuck in presenting that, that we miss the opportunity to actually know who we really are. What led you to feel like you needed to have that personal contract? So I'm a part of a coaching program called King's Council, and it's for Christian entrepreneurs. And the basis of it is remembering whose you are. And the way that we can do that is by knowing who we are. And so having these contracts is whenever we get together in our mastermind, we introduce ourselves. And many of us evolve our contracts as we enter into different seasons and different characteristics we want to step into. But ultimately, it allows a really good foundation to build on. Because being an entrepreneur, just being a person in general, the world is crazy and there's so much shifting 
being able to come back to that core thing of who I am and obviously knowing who God is, is like the most important. So when they taught that, I was like, I'm totally down for this place. Like, this is incredible. What a phenomenal group to be a part of. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I feel like there's a lot we could talk about, but one of the themes of this current season that I'm in is on healing. And you had had a few ideas when we first connected, but at this moment, you know, you're someone who does believe God can speak and work. And so coming into this time, what's coming into your mind and heart now? Yeah. So I've had to do a lot of different types of healing, healing of deep, deep wounds, healing of maybe little scratches. And what comes to mind is one of like the deeper wounds. When I was 15, an older man came into my life and definitely put it on a trajectory that I was not expecting nor wanted. And it has taken me a lot of years to figure out how to heal from that and what God meant and like wanted me to learn from that situation. And ultimately, it's because that story and that being a part of me, I realized that what is done to us, what we do does not define who we are. And so I have more empathy and understanding of other people who've gone through hard times or have done things that they shouldn't have, but that doesn't define who they are. Yeah. You know, there's a few things that really jumped at me that I want to hit on. And the first is you started this whole conversation on this idea of identity. And you've just landed at another piece of identity that what's happened to us doesn't identify who we are. But that means that there was periods during that time where what happened to you did define who you were. Mm. How does that impact us when we have a trauma, when we have an experience, and that is forging our identity in our mind? What impact does that have on us? Right. Well, it really allows us to see our own weakness. So we have to lean into the Lord. He never intended for us to go through the weaknesses and the struggles and the pain. But here we are. This is what we got. And that has allowed us, allowed me personally to see how God can work. And not in like a weakness, I want to be a doormat, but like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, like I can't hold it all together. I can't try to process this on my own. I need therapy. I need to tell people about what happened to me not in a way necessarily for the drama or the tension, but when God said that he wants us to put things out in the light, those things are on our mind too. And when we do that, the truth can set us free. And so speaking those things are so important. And so being able to have the bravery and the courage, right, to step into not just as a characteristic, but as like a who you are to be bold and to be brave, to endure those things. And yeah, like to take them on as part of your story, But then we can reframe it as at a time it was really horrible. And now I look at it and like, yeah, it really sucked. But man, I learned so much from it. And I've been able to help so many women because of it. Yeah. And that piece is interesting too. It was horrible. Now you look back and you're like, but in the midst I learned. And this is the crazy thing is so much can happen even when we don't know that it's actually happening. I mean, the broad sweep of all this is that God is always present, active and loving. But we definitely have moments in our lives where we don't believe that's true, Mm -hmm. where we don't feel like that's true, where we do feel like things are horrible, where we do feel like things are lonely. And meanwhile, God is actually working. But it's that period right before that breakthrough. You know, you talked about this moment where you recognize weakness and you make the decision to lean into God. But right before that moment is the, oh my gosh, I am weak. I am awful. Like some of the identity you can pull in from a trauma is this was my fault or I wasn't strong enough, or I leaned into this. 
what can help us to break out of that moment, the moment before the breakthrough when we are feeling the weakness in the negative way? Mm. And I think that that really goes back to identity. Let's, we'll just call that as part of this theme of conversation because every single person has a unique way of coping, has a unique way of processing. And so you have to be able to figure out what it is that you need. Mm -hmm. I feel for the people who haven't figured that out in the good times of their life and then they have trauma, right? So I had been able to learn coping skills and learn how to identify red flags and things within me prior to the situation. So I feel like that really kind of gave me a leg up to kind of cope with it later on as well. Not perfectly by any means, mm -hmm. but some type of tools to use. And so I really encourage people, even in the good times, like figure out how to care for yourself, right? Listen to your thoughts, listen to the red flags, be aware, trust your intuition. And so that way you can build that self-trust. So then when you get to the point of like, okay, <laughs> this is where I'm at, what just happened you can lean into those tools and then you can step into getting the help you need, giving it to the Lord, whatever it is that you're needing to do. Yeah. Well, and there's this also acceptance of grace, grace for ourselves, grace that God has for us, because we lean a lot into perfectionism and we lean a lot into convenience and we lean a lot into things happening quickly, you know, the microwave <laughs> element of all this. And so when something traumatic happens, we want it to be clear and easy and we want to navigate it well and we want it to happen quickly. And that's not how it often happens. I mean, part of your story is something happened when you were young and it took a while, you said, for you to get to a place of understanding what happened, understanding who you were, understanding who God was in the midst of that. And that piece of length of time is the other thing that really stood out to me because in a lot of the stories that I've heard during this series, and even the stories in my own life, I had something traumatic happen when I was young that it was 20 years before one day it hit me. Oh, my gosh, I recognize now what actually happened to me that I didn't fully understand. Why is it time is something that God allows in the midst of this? Why doesn't God immediately fix trauma or immediately help us to see our identity? Mm. Probably the same reason that it took Jesus 33 years to start his ministry, right? That time is to equip us, to develop. Like, we aren't God. So our brains, our everything just needs that time to figure things out. And he just orchestrates everything so beautifully that maybe within that time, whatever stage we're in of coping, that is touching somebody else's heart. And so... It's just like this one big puzzle, right? And so, man, I wish that things could be immediate. And some people are like healed immediately from things and praise God for that. Mm -hmm. But many of us don't. And we need that time and that truth to really sink in for there to be like full, true healing. Yeah. Ultimately, what we're talking about is God's after something more than we are. We're after things being fixed and he's after us knowing who he is and us knowing who we are in that. And for some people, all it takes is a really quick experience for something to click. And sometimes in our lives, it takes years, <laughs> decades for us to actually be willing to accept who God is and to accept who we are. I think that's one of the hardest things, actually, is to be willing to accept who God sees us as because we have our own ideas. So, you know, you started this sharing how you wanted to understand and shape your identity. What was one of the most freeing moments in the midst of your healing journey where you had a moment where you suddenly saw yourself as God saw you? 
Oh gosh. So that was in therapy. So I was 15 and the man that abused me was 28. And so I had a child, I had a little girl at 28 Mm. and it clicked for me. Probably it sounded like for you too, there was like a time and moment you're like, oh my gosh, I was 28 and I'm like 15 year old little girl. What? Mm. No, I wasn't in a relationship. I was abused. Like, well, wait a minute, what is going on? So going to therapy, the therapist asked me as the 28-year-old version of Tabitha to talk to the 15-year-old Tabitha. Mm. And I was like, oh, do I have to? <laughs> like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. But when I did, you know, just telling her, you are loved, you are precious. You don't know what's going on. That's okay. Like you're a child. This is not your responsibility. Just being able to release that pressure that she put on herself at 15 was just a really empowering and a really neat process to go through at that time. Just to have it click and be like, that's right. God was protecting me at that time. And he was using me now as a more mature 28-year-old to speak to that 15-year-old version of me. Yeah. And... So I'm pausing here because part of my story that I referenced earlier involves someone who is older than me that I thought it was a relationship that as I got older, I look back and realize, oh my gosh, no, that actually, that was not okay. And that idea of talking to your younger self is so valuable. But what really hit me is if your younger self could have actually heard you, your younger self might not have known what to do with that information, right? Because I was around a similar age. And I can recall how I was processing and understanding the world. And I had people in my life that were like, hey, I don't know if this is okay. And I didn't trust them. I didn't believe them because I knew how I understood the world. To put it another way, when we are in certain moments of our life, we may think we understand the world, but we may be completely off and may continue on a destructive trajectory, even if it's not us causing the destruction, even if it's us receiving the destruction. At first, my thought was, man, that's kind of heartbreaking. 28-year-old Tabitha couldn't have necessarily changed the trajectory of 15-year-old Tabitha's life. But then I thought, well, maybe that's not the point here. Maybe the point isn't to have helped our younger selves avoid all the hardships because let's be honest, like (laughs) we're going to continue to have hardships throughout our life. But what we're talking about is a healing and what you were able to do is extend a grace to yourself, understanding that your younger self didn't fully know, didn't fully understand, maybe made some choices that 28-year-old was like, ah, what are you doing? Don't do that. And the healing was for the back end, not necessarily on the front end. When you think about this, 28-year-old Tabitha talking to 15-year-old Tabitha, there is a hypothetical older Tabitha (laughs) that could down the line be thinking, oh, I need to communicate (laughs) with my my younger self. So Knowing that you had this experience looking back, when you look forward, how does that change how you understand what you know now, the journeys that you're on now, and what healing looks like? Mm, That's a really good question. There are times I do think of my future self. And at one point, I wrote a letter to my future 40-year-old self and even to like the future tomorrow self, right, of like building trust with myself, doing what I say I'm going to do. And there has had to be a lot of healing within that of integrity, self-integrity, and being aware now of what I know and continuing to follow the process and allow myself to feel it. You know, there's certain even times of the year when things happen, there were triggers, right? Mm -hmm. 
So even down the road, I know that I'm probably going to still have those triggers, but I know that also God has dimmed those feelings. They're there, but they don't rock me like they used to. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, yep, I'm aware of you. And so just seeing like the 10 year, you know, I'm 37 now. So at 47 being like, oh man, like that's going to be even less. I trust in like the healing process and how God's going to use it in a way that's going to impact other women. And it's going to allow me to truly learn how to heal from other things. Cause you're right. Like I still have had hurts in other ways and how I've learned to heal from that has been very helpful. And a lot of the healing too came when I talked to my parents about it because they never knew. Mm. And I wanted to feel open about sharing my story and I didn't want them to hear it from anywhere else but from me. Right. And I had a lot of versions and a lot of stories in my head of what they were going to say and how they were going to react. Mm. And so a lot of my healing process was it doesn't matter how they react. I want to tell them because I want to respect them and honor them as my parents And what was done is done and they're entitled to their opinion. And so that was really powerful for me too, to just complete like have healthy boundaries. Wait, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And let them have their feelings and I have my feelings. And that was just really a part of the process that was helpful. And I also took that into account too, as I have two young girls, I'm like, man, I just want to be a mom that they can come and talk to early on and not have to wait 13, 15 years later to tell about what happened to them. Yeah. So you saying that just made a thought really erupt in my mind, which is, you know, we're talking a lot about our internal healing. And then we see the world around us and people that we love, and we want their lives to be whole. We don't want them to be wounded. We want them to find healing. And as parents, We look at our kids and we think about all the things that wounded us and we don't want them to be wounded by any of that, right? And so you had these, you said daughters, right? As they get older, you're going to probably think even more often about your own experience and like, how do I keep that from happening to them? So tell me about that process for you in understanding like what your role of healing is as a mother and what the limitations are, especially in what we talked about earlier, knowing that a 28-year-old Tabitha couldn't have necessarily convinced 15-year-old Tabitha to necessarily change things. How do you navigate your role as a mother in the healing part of that, knowing there are limitations? Mm, Yeah. So being open and honest with my girls to the point that's appropriate for their developmental level. Um, (laughs) And really teaching them who they are. I was confused. I mean, no 14-year-old knows who they are either or 15-year-old, right? But like teaching my girls that they always have God, who they are in Christ, right? That they are strong and courageous. They are brave. And that when something feels off, when something doesn't seem right, it's okay. A lot of times women, little girls are raised in a way that they're supposed to be quiet and they're not supposed to make a stink. They're not supposed to have opinions. They're just supposed to go with the flow and just be quiet little docile things. My girls are not. (laughs) I have raised them to be, which is very challenging to parent, but like they have opinions. I want them to tell me if they feel uncomfortable. I want them to be aware of their body. I want them to use anatomically correct terms to tell me if things are going on. I want to help them like boys that are very, very kind to them. So as a seven-year-old, like my daughter thinks she has a boyfriend. Well, I could be like, no, no boyfriends. (laughs) Well, I ask, what do you like about him? Does he treat you nice? So I don't try to challenge it. I try to go with it. I don't encourage it by any means, but 
my own healing process has allowed for me to try to be more open and vocal about things. So that way my girls are just more aware and the decisions that they make, at least they're not uninformed. Like if my kids are going to do drugs and alcohol, I at least want them to know fully (laughs) what to expect. And that may sound weird, but I want to just make them aware so they have the information, pray over them. Like I'm even praying for their husbands, their future husbands right now, Mm -hmm. because I want them to have amazing men to like come into their lives and treat them like the princesses they are. Yeah. And again, we're coming back to this identity piece. The most valuable thing that you are able to give them is a right understanding of who God is, but also who they are. Because the truth is, is until someone's 24, their brain isn't fully developed. So decision-making is not perfect. And so the truth is both of our kids will likely do things that their 28-year-old selves would say, ha, don't do that. You should have done that. (laughs) Totally. Even harder is they could be making all the right decisions and someone can do something to them. Someone can mislead them. Someone can trick them. And it can leave plenty of room, like we talked about earlier, of hitting that place where you suddenly put a lot of negative identities on yourself that this was my fault, or I am broken, or my identity is now this thing that happened to me. And you're actually coming on the front end of that, knowing that you can't control what will happen to them or the decisions they will make. You're saying, but I'm going to let them know who they are. I'm going to let them know what they deserve. I'm going to let them know what's possible for them. I'm going to give them the tools, but I'm not going to try to control them because I can't. And then I'm going to know that God actually is with them when I can't be, and that God will still be with them afterwards, and I will still love them afterwards, right? That is a hard place because we have to step into that knowing that things could still happen. And I keep on thinking about this must be how Jesus felt because he could have taken a very controlling stance on the disciples. He could have made them exactly like him and forced them to do all the right things. Instead, he was who he was and lived that out well. And he told them who they were. He spoke into their identities. He gave them the tools and resources. He said, you could do greater things than I'm doing. Like he put all these things out there and then released them, knowing that one would betray him. Another one would deny him. A bunch of them would argue about who's the best. And he knew they would continue to make missteps. And so his purpose wasn't to make them perfect but to know whose they were and invite them into a full life that they couldn't have gotten to know on their own. In your life, how do you see that being played out for you? So you're doing that for your daughters. How are you having this spoken into you and what forms is that coming? Mm, That's good. I have the group that I talked about earlier that is just a phenomenal group that pours into me encourages me to step into my courage, into my boldness, consistency, strength, all of that. My husband is an amazing cheerleader who is constantly pointing to the Lord and not even like verbally with his quiet time I see and how he develops himself. Those are just some of the ways that I am getting poured into as well. I love to lead. I love to teach. And so being a part of a Bible study, even though I pour out, but that really kind of pours into me because when we're in a leadership position, we want to do well, right? We want to do things with excellence. And so we're more prone to read and prepare and know all of these things, whereas if we're just kind of on the receiving end. So in a way that has really helped me too, is just to have the responsibility to understand God's grace, understand he can take any story and make it beautiful. And that encourages and empowers me to show up to be the best mom that I can be for my girls, the best friend, wife, sister-in-law, all of the things Yeah, and just pour into others. Yeah. You know, there is something that really stood out when I was reading your profile 
And I was like, I would love for this to come into it, but I don't want to force it. But as we've been talking, there's this thread that I'm seeing. So you you have 15 years of experience in the criminal justice system, and you've got a master's in social work. And so you've engaged in spaces where people have been through some hard things, where this piece of identity can come into play. I have a friend of mine who was on an episode a couple years ago. We didn't know where the conversation was going to go, but what she ended up doing was opening up about how she had spent some time in prison and this identity of ex-convict was just heavy and weighing on her. And it took a long time for her to feel like she could actually be free from that, to actually know who she was, that that's not how God saw her. That's not how she needs to see her. And even if other people still see her like employers, still see her like that, that doesn't make it her identity. And so, you know, we've been talking about us individually. We've been talking about our kids. But there are a lot of people in the world, and specifically, I'm really struck by this idea of people who have been convicted of some that have the title of felon placed on them, who are carrying or having thrust upon them these negative identities. What did it look like for you to navigate that space, knowing what you know about right identity? The backstory, the reason I even got into the criminal justice system was because I'm an only child and I grew up with, he's basically my brother. He was the kid down the street, but he lived with us for a while and he ended up making some really poor choices. Well, I knew who he was. Mm. I knew how amazing he was and he just made some poor choices. And so I was inspired to be like, well, I know that there's other kids like in my school that I haven't seen in a while that are probably in juvie with my friend, right? So when I went and visited, I realized there's all these kids here, but they were all super cool. I never got in trouble when I was younger, but I associated with everyone and I saw who they were. So now fast forward, I get into the justice system and being a type one on the Enneagram, I'm very much like rules and um, expectations and there's black and white, but the Lord had given me eyes to see people for, again, how he made them his eyes. And even though I had some horrible things happen to me, even when I, you know, worked with sex offenders, I didn't view them as these horrible people. I viewed them as people God created that did horrible things, but they didn't change who they were. Mm -hmm. I also had to create boundaries of who I did interact with. And that was, you know, a process too. Like I'm pretty strong mentally, but then I was like, you know what, do I really need to be forcing this? And so being able to work with the female inmates was like perfect. Like it just fits so well because many of them had never really interacted with someone like me before. They hadn't interacted with someone who had never done time, anything like that. And so it was such an amazing opportunity to show Christ's love in a way that was unexpected. And I saw love from God too through them just by them learning how to trust me and me learning how to trust them. And Mm -hmm. it was just this beautiful experience. And I was even able to volunteer up in here. I live in Minnesota at the women's prison up until COVID. Right now they're not letting people in. And it just breaks my heart that there's not very many volunteers going in because there's these women in there that are really, really struggling. But one thing that I did find too is that we have these women that are incarcerated. Well, I know a lot of women that have created their own prisons in their life. These expectations that they have to fit in. You know, we were talking a little bit about perfectionism earlier, right? These perfect things that just hold these women back that are extraordinary women, but they limit themselves because they think that they have to do X, Y, Z. And unless this happens, they can't do this. And so the women in prison are really no different than my other stay-at-home mom friends or my other working mom friends. We're all the same. God created us. He created every single one of us. We are on this earth for a purpose. 
And it has been so neat to be able to not necessarily judge people by what they did or had happened to them, but by who they are and the potential that they have. Yeah. When I love that origin story, that you had this strong friendship, your brother, (laughs) that you knew who he was and you knew the decisions that he made weren't who he was. And that put you in a position of wanting to step into that space for others. I think a lot of people can get behind that notion that somebody that we know, we want to advocate for them. It's a very different thing to be willing to see the right identity in somebody that we don't know, or to see the image of God in someone who has wronged us. How would you encourage somebody to be able to step into that space? Mm -hmm. To say, even if you don't know this person, even if they've done the worst things in your mind, that they are still someone made in the image of God. How does someone cross into that? I have a trick. And the trick is to see them as a five-year-old child, Mm. especially if they're acting out, if they're saying hurtful things, you know, hurting people hurt people. So I literally kind of visualize them as this little five-year-old child who's gotten their feelings hurt. And so they're acting out. When my girls fight, then they fight with me and they fight with their dad. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, let's calm down. What really happened? Like, let's back up. If we can just see people for who God sees us, and he talks a lot about children, you know, in the Bible and how we're supposed to have faith like children. And I really think it's important to realize that people are people. And when we see them as people that aren't above us or below us, but just as equals, and sometimes it's easier to see them as like little children because we just have more empathy and compassion, that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. Why is it that we have more empathy and compassion for children, but we restrict that for adults? Mm, man, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it's like, as an adult, I'm like, you should know better, right? Like, you should know better. And that's where grace needs to come in. And that's something that I constantly have to work on because grace is not something that comes easily for me. It wasn't something that was given to me growing up either. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit within us, right? And so we have access to all of the fruit. And grace is something that I am learning to cultivate And everyone kind of has a different level of it. With children, there's just this easier, like the purity, right? And there's not as much baggage. And you probably don't have as long with them that they've done anything necessarily horrible to you. And so it's just this ability to see them for who they are. These cute little beings that are really loud and mostly, you know, sometimes annoying, (laughs) but they're wonderful. And then there's these adults, right, that do these same things, but they were a kid once too. And I wonder what happened to them, right? Or what choices that they made that led them to act out and treat us the way that they did. Yeah. I talk a lot in these episodes and in conversations in general about this idea of broad sweeps. We love broad sweeps because it makes it really easy to just, let me just broad sweep this person, broad sweep this situation. But what you pointed out is, no, this stuff is really nuanced. You know, it's like the classic example of someone stealing bread to feed their family and somebody on the outside could say, hey, you should know better that stealing is wrong. And yeah, maybe the person did know that stealing was wrong, but they also knew that their family needed food. And so they waited out. But you even pressed into further what somebody experienced as they were growing up can cause ramifications that they aren't even aware of. That's something you and I talked about earlier is like it took a long time to work through this thing. And it wasn't until you were 28 that you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm the same age now. Whoa, right? Like there are things that we don't understand, even if we have a surface level understanding. But then we take it even further. And we're talking about a world where, you know, the scripture says, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual principalities. And there's this idea that there's this 
deeper level of deception and attack, whatever you want to call it, that <laughs> I mean, we don't even know how to defend ourselves against that. And it makes me think of Jesus on the cross and his response in line with what you were saying is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They should know better not to kill somebody who really doesn't deserve to die. They, they should know not to mock somebody who's on a cross. They should know better. But even Jesus recognized they have no idea what they're doing. Like they know practically what they're doing. They know physically what they're doing, but they don't know the depth of what they're doing. They don't know the ramification. They do not understand. So forgive them because their small minds don't get it. So we're being invited into this place of when we interact with someone to see them as God sees them, to see them if it takes us looking at them as a five-year-old child so that we can muster the empathy that we're not willing to show them as adults, but also to recognize every single person we encounter may have past wounds or traumas, may have current traumas, may have been told lies, may be lying to now, and may have these external spiritual forces guiding things. And so we really can't look at a person and say, you should know better. Because the other piece of it is, how often do we end up having to say that to ourselves? All the time. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) And so here's the other piece in what you're sharing. Some of this is internal work. I need to do the internal work of naming what my true identity is. I need to do the internal work, you know, of pouring into my kids, helping them to know what that looks like. But you're also talking about some really hefty external stuff that you did in your role. You went into these spaces and saw these men and women as made in the image of God and deserving of love, but you were also doing external things. So what does that look like for us, especially those who identify as Christ followers? It's one thing to strive to see somebody's right identity. What does it look like to actually put action behind that? Mm, Man. Yeah. So that takes boldness because many of us don't want to hang out with people who look different than us, sound different than us. And it takes a lot of courage. And it's also exhausting, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And so there needs to be good self-care there as well. I think it's so important for people to volunteer their time and to serve. So I serve in my church and I serve my community. Like those things are very, very important. And it's not just to do as a good thing. It's to do because when we just surround ourselves, specifically Christians in our Christian little bubble, we go to our Christian church and then my kids go to their Christian school and then I hang out with my Christian friends. All of that is amazing. Absolutely. But then our world gets very small and we start not understanding that the entire world does not operate that way. In fact, other Christian bubbles look very different in other parts of the world. And so if we can expand and make our world bigger by reaching out to other places or other people, that is so important. So let's get practical here. If you are a teacher or if you love to cook, go to a food shelf to donate your time or go and teach inner city kids some math. A lot of times we like to give ourselves the pause of like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. There's so many options. Absolutely. Pick one and go and do it. Like go and serve. Get yourself bigger than your family. And even if that's hard, reach out to some missionaries. Man, missionaries are literally, they've given up the comforts of the United States to go overseas to tell people about Christ. They have amazing insight into being uncomfortable, to living in a new culture. How can you serve them as well? I think servanthood is incredibly important. 
and underutilized as a tool to not only learn about other people, but to learn about God and to learn about who we've been created to be too. Yeah. I resonate with that. And I agree because what we're talking about, even what you just said there, there is a lot more that can come from what you just described than what we assume. Because normally what we assume is we're going into these spaces to help fix the problems. There is so much more that God wants to do. And that's been one of the blessings in my life. I grew up in the country on like 10 acres. I didn't really touch the city. And now I'm living right in the heart of one of the highest concentrations of poverty in our area because I felt an invitation from God. I'm in these spaces with people who are very different than me, that have very different upbringings, that have very different experiences. And one of the most valuable things for me has been able to see how small my bubble was, how limited my understanding was, and to be forced into the space of challenging myself and how to see others as God sees them. Not as, oh, here is a homeless person. No, like I, every day over to my left here, I've got a window. And every day there's a friend of mine that comes and he's like six foot two. So he can reach over the fence and knock on my window and he just waves. He goes on this same walk around the block and he's unsheltered. He stays in a garage down the street. There are plenty that could look at him and make a lot of broad sweep judgments about who he was and why he's in the situation he's in. And so there's that negative end. There could be a lot of people that might take pity on him and give him some clothes and things like that because they want to help the situation, which I mean, he's always grateful when he receives things like that. But the gift for me has been God taking me on this journey of recognizing, no, that's my friend. <laughs> we are friends. But I also still have to navigate, one, what does it look like to see him daily as God sees him and not bring in my own assumptions or judgments or this, that, and the other. But two, what does that action look like? How do I love my friend made in the image of God who is in a really hard situation. What are the limitations of that? And there aren't easy answers. I wrestle with that often, especially on days where it gets to 20 degrees, right? But if we go into these things and we're not bringing in this identity piece, this wasn't our planned theme, but this is clearly the theme. We can actually cause harm if we go into spaces without doing that work of how do I see this person as God sees them? Because what we will do is see them for the problems that they are in or the problems that they are causing or whatever our negative assumptions are of that thing, like poverty or homelessness or drug addiction or felonies. Everybody that we could look at in one of those situations is someone that God loves deeply, that was made in the image of God. And we are no better <laughs> than any other person because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are ones that Jesus looks at and says, Forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. And yet I love them. Yet I love them. So true. If somebody wants to step into that kind of a space, how would you encourage them as a first internal step to make sure that they are stepping from the right place? Mm. We have to know whose you are. So just making sure that they're aligned with the Lord, right? So if there's anything that they feel is like stepping in between them and the relationship, whether they need to confess something or release something, I definitely suggest that. So the first one is know whose you are and then know who you are. Don't step into working in a prison if that terrifies you. Like, don't do that then. <laughs> go talk to someone, you know, that's on the street or go into a school if you want to volunteer. Like, do something that aligns with your personality, right? Going into a prison totally aligns with my personality. My husband, no way. 
you know? And so it's like, that's okay. So being very clear on like what you like, and I feel that it's important to encourage people to really identify what it is that they enjoy in life. And so many times it's just so noisy and we think that, oh, I should like this. I should do this. Well, there's a lot of obligations, but when it's truly from the Lord, it is like an internal joy. Mm -hmm. And that is what gets you through those hard times, right? Like you were saying, navigating this, you know, it's 20 degrees. Do you invite him in? Well, no, like this is his life, right? You don't want to take pity on him. You're his friend. If he needs something, he'll ask. And just being able to, when you've given it to God, when it's aligned, it doesn't feel like you're having to control everything and you're having to fix everything. You know, God's got it. And so when he gives you the prompting and when you can hear that prompting, that's when that's important. And so again, know who's you are and then know what it is that you actually want to do to like step out and make your bubble bigger. Yeah. And I'll add to that something you said earlier, which I think is so important and people need to hear. You were struck by there are these women in this prison that they had never interacted with someone like you because you were like, I've never been convicted of anything. That can be a limitation for some people. I'm not going to be able to relate with people in this situation. I I can't connect with someone wrestling with addiction because I've never been addicted to, you know, any substances. I, I can't, I can't. What I would challenge people in is to not let our capacity limit God's capacity. Because if he invites us into a space, he can do abundantly more than we could on our own. And that's another thing that I've had the privilege of God working through is building some relationships with a few guys who do wrestle with addiction on a hefty level. And I've shared candidly with them, I haven't done drugs. <laughs> and so like, it's crazy to me that God has connected us on this level, that there's a very clear, authentic relationship, but it's not based on us having to have experienced the same things. And so if God's inviting someone into a space, God knows how to be the capacity, be the guidance for that space. We just have to be willing to step into that space and trust God in that. Absolutely. And it all comes down to our heart, right? So none of us have the same situation. Even if someone had a similar life to me, it wasn't exact. And so it comes down to, we all experience emotions and thoughts. And so when I would connect with the ladies, they'd be like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, I've been hurt. I've been sad. I felt lonely. I've been abandoned. Those are things you've experienced. So yeah, mine look different than yours. But we've experienced those same things and bringing it down to the heart level, right? No, you haven't experienced drug addiction, but you know what it feels like to be hurt and to feel taken advantage of. And a lot of times that's why people use drugs is to cope with that. Mm -hmm. And so if we can just realize that we don't have to have experienced the exact same thing as someone else, but we all have our hearts and how God has given Mm -hmm. us this amazing ability to feel feelings and to think thoughts And those are similar to what other people think. And so that's our commonality. Yeah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I have two final questions. But before I say those, I want to affirm, one, I love where this conversation went. But two, I really believe God wanted this conversation to happen because there were so many reasons it shouldn't have happened, including the two young kids in the other room who never burst in yelling, which amazing that is God right there. The other thing is maybe five, six minutes into this conversation, my headphones did the sound that indicates, oh, this is about to die. And the last time that happened, it died right after. And I can still hear you (laughs) like 40 minutes later. So amazing. God has worked. I really believe that he wanted to do something through this conversation. And, you know, to close out two simple questions. The first, if anybody wanted to learn more about you or the things that you're doing, how can they do that? 
Yeah, they can find me at tabithaperry.coach or on social media, Tabitha Perry Life Coach. And I just love helping women specifically create small edits in their life so they can get the results that they want. That's great. And then the final question is really simple as well. Is there anything else on your heart or mind that you want to share before we go? For the listeners that have been inspired to do something to make their bubble bigger, tap into that courage, tap into that strength and boldness and like go out and do it. 24 hours from now, have something in your calendar that you're going to go do. Just do it. We overthink things. We overcomplicate things. God did give us a brain, but he also calls us to be obedient. So if you feel the Holy Spirit like prompting you to go and reach out, do that volunteer opportunity or take that job or whatever it is to serve someone that'll make your bubble bigger, I definitely suggest doing it. I think it's important that we pause here on this difficult truth, that our perception of the identity of another can impact the healing that they could receive. Or the flip side of it, that God is inviting us to see others as made in the identity of God, and that as we do so, we can participate in their healing. Now, this capacity to see people rightly often got Jesus in trouble. Take, for example, when he would go and eat at the house of someone that the Pharisees had deemed a sinner. In their eyes, the person that Jesus was visiting had done bad things and was undeserving of the company of a teacher or rabbi. In Jesus' eyes, they were created by God, loved by God, and deserving of love and connection. Or blind Bartimaeus on the road. The disciples saw him as a nuisance to be avoided, as a blind beggar causing trouble. Jesus invited him over, however, because he was created in the image of God and deserving of love. There are countless stories of Jesus exhibiting authentic love to others while those around him perceived that individual as an issue, as someone to be avoided or rejected. And we do this today. We allow our understanding, our experiences, our desires to shape how we perceive the identity of another. And we are prone to write people off quickly. God addresses it this way in 1 Samuel 16. He's invited Samuel to go to a guy named Jesse to find and anoint the next king. When one of the older, stronger sons comes through, Samuel thinks, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But this is what God says to Samuel in verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Listen, when it comes to healing, we need to be honest that often we can stifle the healing of others because we're looking on the outward appearance and not on the heart. And this is admittedly hard because sometimes the situations can be complicated, can be painful, can be frustrating, or sometimes it's beyond our capacity to understand the heart of another. And this is where Jesus' words to us before he was taken up are so encouraging because he promises to send a helper to allow us to do even greater things than he did. In other words, you being able to discern the right identity of another is not on you, but on your willingness to trust the nudgings of the Spirit. 
Just as Jesus was walking through a crowd one day and knew to look up in a tree to see Zacchaeus, the Spirit can allow you to see people that you might have otherwise missed and can give you the wisdom to know who they truly are. But this comes at a price. Choosing not to lean on your own understanding and to instead trust and submit to God's understanding can put us into positions where we're invited to do things that seem counterintuitive or even foolish. But the opportunity here is not to love ourselves, but to love God and love others. What we're being invited into here is hard, but it is possible and it is worth it. We have an opportunity with everyone we meet to invite God to show us how he sees them and then to engage them accordingly. We've been given access to the Spirit so we don't have to do this by ourselves, and we get the opportunity to participate in the healing of others, if we are willing. Today, you're going to encounter someone who has dealt with false identities being put on them, and you have the opportunity and the privilege to say to God, help me to see this person as you see them, and then to take steps of loving God and loving others from there. And when you do that, you will be amazed at how God can work in powerful ways. So step into today willing to see the right identity of others and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, 
ask yourself, where did you see God?